outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Hey everybody, welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. This episode is dedicated to buying deer ground, which maybe is more doable than you think. Listen, I know most folks will never do it. Some because it's just a financial impossibility. That's just life. Others because they believe it's a financial impossibility, which is different. Others yet won't consider it because they don't have to. If your grandma owns 500 acres of prime ground and has promised to leave it to you and the family, then it might not be a smart idea to fork over some serious dough for a little slice of deer heaven. There are a lot of ways to look at this, and I get that. But I want to detail my own journey a little bit and then talk about the pros and cons of considering a land purchase for yourself. I grew up with a poor attitude and I fight it to this day. By poor, I mean two different things. I mean feeling like I'd never be rich, but also just kind of a shitty attitude. If you have my genes, and by the looks of it out there in social media world, the genes that millions of us possess, it's really easy to fall into a victim mentality. The kind of mentality that just says life sucks because someone else did something. But life really doesn't suck. It's pretty amazing. And it doesn't do any of us any good to dwell on the success of others or our own lack of success when the only things we can really control our daily decisions. So that's my uh, Tony Robbins pep talk for you, I guess, folks, because I want to get into a topic that some people will want to hear and some won't, land ownership. Now, when I was about, I don't know, 27 or 28 years old, one of my hunting buddies called me up and told me he had just bought 80 acres of land in Wisconsin. To me, that was about like one of my friends telling me he just got drafted by the Patriots to be their starting quarterback. It was so far into the realm of never going to happen that I couldn't believe it had actually happened. Now, I knew nothing about the area where he bought his land and nothing about anything other than it was amazing that he had just gone for it. I couldn't believe it. 
And then a little while later after he bought it, I met up with him at a roach motel in northern Wisconsin to help him cut some rifle shooting lanes and mostly just check out his new place. And it all became much, much clearer after walking his land for the first time. The land is about half swamp, which means it's about half useless. The other half is a mix of high woods and some ag fields. That was much better, but it wasn't great. It also made a lot more sense on how my buddy could afford it. And as we worked away on his land so he'd be able to shoot some swamp bucks with his rifle while hunting with his dad and his brother, he kind of laid out his plans. He had big ideas for planting tree rows to screen the fields from the county road. He also planned to put in a couple acres of food plots and to dig a pond and plant a whole bunch of apple trees. When you hear a plan like that, you can kind of conjure up images in your head of what it might look like, but you can't really see it. Now, you know, I don't know, 14 years later or so, some of the first trees he planted, we've put tree stands in them. The deer obviously feel safe there because the hunting has steadily gotten better, but it's by no means amazing. He's killed some big bucks there, and so has his dad. But he's also killed a pile of little bucks, some bears, a bunch of grouse, woodcocks, ducks, and mostly just had an amazing time there with his family and some of his lucky friends like me. And seeing what he did with that marginal ground kind of lit a fire under my ass, and I started to look for land up there as well. My budget was a lot smaller than his, but I just wanted something to call my own. Eventually, I saw a listing for 28 acres that was priced at 35000 bucks. But the land on the aerial photos and in the listing, it looked like half low, half high. It was a really odd shape. So in other words, I don't know, it didn't look like it was worth it. It looked like it was overpriced. So I didn't even drive over there to look at it. But a month later, that friend of mine who owns the land there called me up and he said that that property had dropped to just 15000 bucks. At that time, my wife was super duper pregnant with twin girls. So it was about as bad of timing as you could possibly imagine to spend money on so-so deer ground. But the price was so low, I drove the two hours and 20 minutes over to look at it. What I looked at that looked horrible from the road actually turned into something decent on the backside of the property. Now, there wasn't a ton of usable ground in that 28, but it would hunt big due to its shape. Plus, it was listed for just over 500 bucks an acre. I didn't really think I could lose money on it. And I offered him 13500 and I got it. Afterwards, the realtor told me that a college kid had inherited it and he just wanted anything he could get out of it. That was in December of 2011. And if my little girls hadn't decided to show up six weeks early, I probably would have been able to get over there and hunt it then. But I didn't. I did have something of my own to start working on. And I found a new kind of passion that I'm mostly terrible at, which is land management. I also had done something I never, ever thought possible, which was buy my own deer ground. Since then, I found two other small properties that were too good to pass up. One, I had to split with a buddy of mine because it was closer to the cities and a little more expensive. But after five years of owning it, we sold it for a really good profit. The other, which was listed just down the road from that original 28 in Wisconsin, I bought a few years ago for 27,000 bucks. That property has a little kill plot on it and it's produced two deer for my little girls just last season alone. Now, it's not a great piece of hunting ground in any technical sense of the term, I suppose, but it's still pretty special to us. We've got some apple trees on it that we've planted and some that were just there. Got some mowed trails on it that I try to maintain every year, and we got that small kill plot to keep us busy. There are always a few deer using it on any given week, 
and occasionally wolves, bears, bobcats, and other animals that make the up north big woods thing what it really is. Now, what I've glossed over here is quite a bit, but I want to dive into something that I really wrestled with when I was dying to own land. I was absolutely terrified to get serious about the process. When I bought my first property, I got lucky in that I did it right before I had kids, and I mean right before. Had I known what the real cost of daycare was or just two babies in general, I probably never would have bought that place in the first place. In fact, I, I know I wouldn't have, but I did. And it was, just like with those two infants, a powerful motivator to pick up any work I could to pay off that land loan as fast as possible. It was also a breakthrough moment for me. I went from thinking that it was impossible that I'd ever own land to being a landowner. Now that didn't change the arc of my personal deer hunting a whole lot because none of my properties have ever produced a big buck for me, but they've got value in so many other ways. Working on land, it's just fun. It's rewarding. And I often don't give it enough credit. I'm a huge proponent of the process of being a deer hunter, usually through the lens of being a public land bow hunter. And that process requires a lot and I'm ate up with it. I'm biased toward it and I can get too preachy about it. I know that. I love it, and I think it produces the best bow hunters out there, skill-wise. But that also leads me to lean too heavily into it sometimes and forget that it's a hell of a lot of fun to plant some trees or till up half an acre in the spring to plant some clover in it. That's a process, too, and it can be a lot of work, which I think is the, the real secret to enjoying deer hunting overall. The more effort you put in, the more you've got at stake. The more effort you put in, the greater the rewards. And no one has to do it, but if you own land, you will be compelled to do that. The whole thing hinges on an individual's ability and desire to make it happen. I'll never forget a boss I had one time in a past life who told a woman who was inquiring about having us cater an event for her. And he said this line to her. He said, you know, you've got champagne tastes and a beer pocketbook. She didn't like it, but he wasn't wrong. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a dreamer. But if you want to own land and you're on limited funding, consider how to work with that beer pocketbook and forget about those champagne dreams. That might mean you're looking at a small property of only a few acres or 10 or 20 maybe, or land that's a couple hours from home in a spot that isn't known for, I don't know, high deer densities and top end genetics. That's a deal breaker for some, but shouldn't be for everyone. Buying land is often buying peace of mind. If you're the title holder, you make the rules. You do the habitat work. You want to hunt only on the weekends, but have a place to yourself? Well, go nuts for donuts, my friends. It's yours. Do what you want. If you want a place for your little girls to hunt, as a totally random example, but you don't want to worry about hunting too close to other people, then you've got your spot. In all of the things I've enjoyed since buying my first property, that's the biggest. Last summer, I spent several weekends setting up blinds and hanging cameras and just being with my daughters in the woods. Sometimes we'd quit early to go catch some brook trout or maybe try to find a bear to photograph or whatever. And in the process, we ate a lot of junk food, we spoiled the dogs, and we just got out in nature. When fall came around, I didn't carry a bow for the first month of the season. I just took them hunting, and it was so fun and so rewarding. And knowing that no one was gonna, legally anyway, mess with our hunts. That was huge. It was huge for peace of mind. We just needed to do our things correctly and then hope the deer did their thing enough so that we could connect with a few of them. 
And owning land also came with a pretty big surprise for me. I almost never hunt it myself. I've killed a handful of deer on each of my properties, but my buddies and my daughters have killed more. I find myself saving my ground for someone else and going to hunt public land for myself. And I know that's weird, but I just love having both options. Hell, I just love having deer hunting options in general. That's why, just like with the traveling hunting thing, I'd encourage anyone with the itch to buy some hunting land to start getting realistic about it. This is not something I'd encourage impulsivity in, although if I'm being honest, I'm a pretty impulsive guy when it comes to hunting. I'll tell you a few stories, uh, horror stories, I guess, next week about that unenviable trait that I possess when I really break down the things that can go wrong with land ownership. But for now, I'll say this. It might be in your grasp. It might not just be the dream deer ground you fantasize about or see on the hook and bullet outdoor channels where 57 deer a night storm into a food plot and fight over the calories. You might have to lower your expectations and reframe your desires around your financial situation and where you live and what you're really looking to get out of the purchase. If you do, and it all starts to seem a little feasible, it's time to start looking. Hell, if you don't think it's feasible, you should start looking anyway. It's pretty hard to predict what real estate prices will be in the future, but it's sure looking like the market could soften up a bit for a while. Inflation and a rising interest rate environment could do the potential land buyer a favor by scaring some folks out of the market or by convincing others to sell the 40-acre chunk that they only hunt a few times each season because it's not worth paying on the taxes every year. The best way to stay tuned into those trends that I've found is to download a realty app on your phone, set your parameters around price and acreage, and start looking. Then you should be able to filter between new properties that have been listed in the last week and properties that have been reduced in price recently. I'll show you the whole picture. After that, keep an eye on them wherever you think you might want to buy. I'm almost compulsive about this, even though I have zero plans to buy any new land anytime soon. But it just keeps me in the loop. And every once in a while, I see a parcel pop up that looks like a really good deal. In the last several years, those properties have gone almost instantly, but that could slow down here and it could slow down where you live. And of course, unless you got the money ready to go or a lead on how to finance a purchase, it doesn't do you a ton of good to find a property that you want to buy if you really have no way to buy it. This part, in my experience, sucks. Banks and credit unions do not want to own hunting land in general. Trust me. They have zero desire to take on the risk of a loan on an asset that they do not want to have to unload. You're not going to find too many banks and credit unions out there that would love to try to sell hunting land. They don't understand it. So this means saving up a decent down payment is usually a must. It also means that you might have to get creative financially to find a loan if you need one. The last property I bought when I went into my credit union was a perfect example of this. Since I've got a good relationship with that credit union and I could meet with a banker I've worked with a few times in the past, we got to go through some creative solutions considering they wouldn't give me a recreational land loan. And since I didn't need that much money, the banker asked me about my truck. I told her I was about to pay it off, which was one of the reasons why I was in the market for land in the first place. And she ran the numbers on my truck and told me that if I paid it off, we could refinance that loan and use it for the land. That meant I got a low interest rate which is pretty common for vehicles, on a loan I could use for the land. Now, this is important. The options that I had for a loan originally were at like 6 or 7%, but because I got to refinance a vehicle loan, I got a 1.99 rate. A big difference. 
That truck was collateral, of course, but the process was pretty smooth, if not a little outside the box. Now, like I mentioned before, I'm going to go into the darker side of buying land next week in sort of a buyer beware PSA. But for now, I'll say that I've had very, very few regrets, but that you should also ask yourself why you want land. If you're just kind of sick of fighting the crowds and you want something of your own to hunt, that's a great reason. If you got a family and you want them to experience decent hunting under your control, that's a great reason. If you just want a little place of your own to experience nature whenever you damn well please, way beyond the scope of deer hunting or doing anything related to deer, that's a really good reason. Maybe you want the chance to extend your season and have some good opportunities beyond your home state. That's why I love having land in Wisconsin, even though I live in Minnesota. I love Wisconsin anyway, although I can't really say why. It feels kind of like when I'm down in Nebraska. They're just my people, I suppose. Although I feel that way when I'm in Texas and out west and in a lot of places. So maybe it's all in my head. Or maybe there is just something to certain places and how we fit into them. Either way, instead of starting the season with one buck tag and maybe some doe tags, I can double my deer hunting opportunities by heading across the border. The season structure is similar, but not exactly the same. And the youth opportunities are definitely different. It opened up a whole bunch of new experiences, new opportunities, many of which are not really tied to deer at all. If that sounds interesting, you might have a similar option for yourself, depending on where you live. So just think about it. If you listen to all this, you must have some desire, however slight, to consider someday buying some land of your own. And if you do, please check in next week because I'm going to tell you some of the things I've gotten wrong about buying land and some of the horror stories of other folks who thought they were getting a deer paradise, but it turned out to be the opposite. That's it for this week, my whitetail loving friends. I'm Tony Peterson, and this has been the Wired to Hunt Foundation's podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you want some more whitetail content, check out our Wired to Hunt YouTube channel and visit themeateater.com slash wired. Again, that's themeateater.com slash wired to see a whole slew of deer hunting articles. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.